0: Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Talking Indonesia podcast. My name is Ken Stiawan from Melbourne University's Asia Institute, and the topic of today's podcast is football or soccer. Football is Indonesia's most popular spectator sport. The sport is, however, also known for its violent clashes between supporters. What do Indonesian football fans do? What does their culture look like? And what kind of challenges are faced by Indonesian players? Here to talk about these issues is Dr. Andy Fuller, who is the founder and editor of Reading Sideways, a blog on the cultures, infrastructures and practices of sports. Andy, welcome to Talking Indonesia.
1: Well, thanks for having me on the show.
0: (laughs) So Andy, as I just mentioned, you are the editor of Reading Sideways, a blog about sports. Why research sports? What's so special about football?
1: From the time I started visiting Indonesia in the late 90s, I always found that so many people were happy to talk about um, uh, football. And when I introduced myself, people said, Oh, your name is Fuller. And then they immediately gave it a German pronunciation of Voller. And then they named a a famous German player, Rudy Voller. So I was always in, I was easily associated with football. In the beginning, my interest in Indonesia was sort of um, propelled a little by little by conversations about football. But um, I guess one of the things I, I'm trying to do with reading sideways is to is to mix up discussions of uh, Australian rules football uh, with also discussions about um, soccer or football, the world game, um, in the same space. And so so that's what I'm partly trying to do with reading sideways. Football is everywhere in Indonesia. You see it virtually as soon as you arrive at any um, main airport. You step out and you see anyone and all sorts of people wearing uh, Manchester United or or Liverpool uh, shirts. I thought this is where I should go with my research. People want to talk about football and it's important to them.
0: So on one hand, football in Indonesia is very popular, as you say, it's everywhere. On the other hand, um, the quality of Indonesian football is actually quite low. What explains that in your opinion?
1: As, as you say, football or Indonesian football ranks very poorly. But despite, um, I guess, football is, football is popular in Indonesia despite or in spite of the uh, terrible uh, languishing nature of uh, the national team, who are currently, you know, sort of uh, more or less ranked 190th in the world, and, you know, perhaps that means 50th in Asia or somewhere. Uh, admittedly, the, the women's team are about are, are slightly better positioned. I think they're officially ranked uh, in the 70s in the FIFA rankings.
0: Andy, you mentioned that Indonesian football is quite low ranked at the moment. This certainly hasn't always been the case, particularly in the 1950s and the 1960s, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Why is Indonesian football lagged behind? What kind of problems are there?
1: Some of the problems in Indonesian football include uh, a lack of a stable league, systemic corruption amongst officials and administrators, uh, poorly managed clubs, which lead to Clubs relocating at the drop of a hat, um, poorly maintained uh, football infrastructure, the pitches and the stadiums. And of course, uh, the, the players themselves are, are essentially uh, victims of all of this. Many players take bribe in order to uh, cover the costs that they have incurred and the costs uh, they have to pay because they haven't been um, paid uh, by their clubs for, for either months or on end. One of the most famous cases uh, was the death of a paraguayan footballer named uh, Diego Mendieta who was playing for Persis Solo and he he died in uh, 2012 from a treatable disease the the club refused to pay uh, for his hospital bills
0: what was the argument of the club there of not wanting to pay for a medical costs?
1: It's simply uncommon for clubs to um, insure, have, uh, have insurance for their players. So when, when they do get a, an ill player or an injured player, the liability, I guess, and uh, they're, they're vulnerable to having their you know, minor illnesses or minor injuries uh, become either life-threatening or career-threatening.
0: Can you tell how this situation has impacted on fans in Indonesia?
1: Many fans truly love the game, but in terms of support, it's very difficult uh, to really get uh, um, a lot of pleasure and satisfaction from the domestic leagues because they're they're so corrupt um, and so unstable. Uh, they they get few opportunities uh, to witness the beautiful game, as so, as footballers generally uh, call. So it's no surprise that many fans adopt and seriously follow um, English Premier League or um, clubs in Spain, such as Barcelona or Real Madrid. And, of course, fans tune in very thoroughly and seriously to the World Cup or the European Championships. One of the very strong images I have of football in Indonesia is uh, 100,000 people at the Glora Bunkano Stadium um, singing You'll Never Walk Alone. Uh, it was. It's extraordinary. 100,000 people belting out uh, Liverpool's anthem.
0: So, Andy, the picture that you're sketching here is basically of fans that are very, very passionate about football, um, even if um, football in Indonesia has so many challenges. Can you tell us a bit more about Indonesian football fans? Maybe we can start with um, who these fans actually are.
1: One of the key points to stress is how uh, active fans are. Uh, took talk- Talking about active fans is, is common in football, but in terms of Indonesia, I, I I generally think that so many fans border on being professional fans. So um, a lot of the fans of the domestic um, domestic leagues are, you know, young urban poor men.
0: Earlier you mentioned that the Indonesian women's football teams actually doing a little bit better than the men's football team, but here you're actually saying that most supporters are men, so um, does, does that mean that there's no place for female supporters in football?
1: Most of the supporter groups have their own female uh, supporter group subdivision. In Surabaya, the main supporter group is the, the Bonek. Jakarta, for Jackmania, there is Jack Angels. It is a hyper-masculine world, basically, Indonesian domestic football. Women have to be pretty and men have to be macho. There are women supporters, but they are in the the very small minority.
0: So Indonesian football supporters are mainly men who are very fanatic. Uh, What are some of the things that they do for their club?
1: They get really engaged with supporting their club and making their club uh, exist to the extent that they are... um, Producing the uh, apparel, um, the merchandise, and um, really uh, giving their team a, a public brand or a public image. Um, there's so much mismanagement at um, the top level of administration that um, these fans have to be active in that way. Otherwise, they will, um, their club will, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> disappear effectively.
0: So fans are really very heavily involved in the viability of their club but what are some of the things that they do in the stadium?
1: Fans will organise themselves in highly choreographed um, movements and gestures and singing, which will last the the full 90 minutes. And for example, at a stadium such as Manahan Stadium in in Solo, where Persis Solo plays, you will get three quarters of a a 30,000 strong crowd uh, chanting different tunes, uh, different songs, uh, different chants to uh, their... To the instructions and directions of their own uh, conductor. These are, these are very um, uh, artistic and highly aesthetic uh, spectacles and performances.
0: So you're talking about dances and songs um, that go on for the entire duration of the game, so that sounds really very lively
1: they create the atmosphere there's yep. no sort of um official soundscape like uh these uh, announcements being made over the broadcast system there's no there's no rock song that gets played when a goal is scored as, as happens elsewhere so the fans are really making the atmosphere the downside of this is the that uh too often, uh, fans uh, descend from the the stands and get on the pitch and attack a, a referee or uh, attack other players. So that's the that's the extreme that's the extreme side of it, and that's the that's the kind of border crossing that you don't necessarily want to see happening.
0: So um, you're actually here also hinting at. Um more violent behavior. Now, football also around the world sometimes does come in into the news of, because of violent clashes between supporters. Do we see that in Indonesia as well?
1: Regrettably, there, there is a lot of violence. During the 80s and 90s, it was the, the bonek of Surabaya who were most uh, famous for their, their rioting at train stations. These, these were a group of fans who would travel uh, from Surabaya to Jakarta or to other cities for an away game. Uh, they would leave uh, their homes without any cash in their hands, so they would basically um, find uh, various means of, uh, you know, feeding themselves. And one of these ways was rioting at train stations and looting the stalls. Of course, this earned them a very uh, bad uh, reputation. In the in the past, football travelling, uh, the travelling of supporters was identical uh, uh, with the with trains. But over recent times. Uh, more fans are travelling by private vehicle or or on buses. The use of um, private cars and buses um, has been part of an effort to escape the surveillance of other s- supporters, but it's not always uh, effective because uh, fans are following the uh, social media activities of their rivals, and uh, then planning their attacks on when they know uh, these. Cars or buses coming from, say, a city such as Solo, are passing through Jogjakarta, um, uh, for example. So then, the the fans in Jogjakarta will attack uh, any car or bus with um, with a Solo number plate. And after some big events, there uh, there will also be impromptu uh, sweeping, where some fans will organise themselves along um, uh, main roads and check. Uh, any passing uh, vehicle or motorcycle for um, fans wearing a particular team's shirt. Traveling as a supporter is, uh, you know, is it's a risky act. Uh, I was speaking to one of the um, leaders of a fan group in Georgia, and <laughs> and he 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 said to me that if you if you are traveling and if you are support- traveling with other fans of of a particular team, then you are getting yourself involved in a risky situation. And it's part of an agreement, like an unspoken agreement, that you are ready to fight. And if you are ready to fight, you are ready to be attacked. So um, this person uh, made no apologies about uh, him and his mates uh, um, getting involved in attacking rival supporters.
0: So does that suggest that violence is inherent to football fan culture?
1: To become a real fan, one of the pathways to to be becoming accepted as a real uh, true fan or to becoming an ultra is to to be violent.
0: But that's hardly unique to Indonesia, is it? Um, The the culture of violence, so to speak?
1: There's a... You know, globalized aspects of, of football fandom. This follows the the violence uh, or the fighting between ultra su- supporters in, in in places such as uh, Poland, where and Russia, I think, where where violence between ultras is uh, very strong.
0: Now, you mentioned that the clashes between fans can sometimes be very violent. There's also been fatalities. Could you maybe reflect a little on this as well as um, the responses taken to such incidences, whether by clubs or fans uh, and the authorities?
1: When I was uh, last in Indonesia, uh, I think about three happened in the space of um, three or four months. The first one uh, I should talk about is the case of... um, a young student who was killed um, in central Jogjakarta. Well, he was killed more or less directly in front of the um, the Adisucipto Airport in Jogjakarta. His name is Muhammad Ikwe Nudin. He was returning home uh, from uh, a game in in Solo, and. The the bus that he was travelling on was uh, pursued by a group of thirty, more or less thirty men on motorcycles, from from about from the distance of uh, Prambanan outside of Jogja, and uh, the bus driver had tried to uh, outrun, <laughs> outrun these motorcycles, uh, motorcyclists, but of course once they got closer to central Jogja, it The bus stopped in a traffic jam, and um, uh, some of the attackers who are affiliated with um, the club PSS Sleman and their supporter group, BJS Prakata Karavasud, they boarded the bus, and uh, it wasn't actually until this young student, Ikwin Udin was getting off a bus that he was uh, fatally stabbed. The police were powerless to stop them or at least didn't take the preventative uh, steps to, um, to prevent this from happening. Um, and it also s- speaks of a breakdown in uh, coordination between um, uh, supporter groups. Uh, n- normally, um, rival fans or uh, well, fans uh, coming from the away team will be given uh, an escort to a degree to prevent them uh, from being attacked by other supporters, but uh, the supporters of Slema, uh basically made a surprise attack. Um, it was not a game involving them, but they were taking revenge for, for early attacks that had happened, I think, uh, some months before.
0: Is there any follow-up after this happens, I mean, um, both from the authorities as well as the clubs, or are clubs, for instance, um, do they face sanctions if their fans behave in such a way?
1: It's a very important question (laughs) and surprisingly uh, something that, a question that can't actually be given a a particularly straight answer. The men involved were uh, arrested and and have been jailed. The attack happened, that particular attack happened at a time in uh, Georgia when there were a lot of uh, street uh, attacks. There was um, some reports in, um, on the front page, I think, of the Tribune, Georgia.
0: So there was quite some media attention then for the case of Ifuan uh, Would you say that that kind of attention is common?
1: Football fans, in um, among so many people, are just considered uh, so... so to be to be hooligans and to be violent, so so often uh, there will be fighting and there will be trouble, but it just doesn't make news anymore. <laughs> so it really takes a, a shocking incident like uh, Udin's uh, death to be um, to make the news.
0: So does that mean that Udin's case was so much more violent than than what people were used to that that was why it generated attention?
1: Uh, Udin's case is. Is a little bit different because he was um, a supporter of this team, but he was also a, uh, you know, a student at one of the uh, good universities in Georgia. So it was from uh, his campus side that uh, really tried to um, press the case and to highlight the the tragedy of his uh, of his killing.
0: And did anything happen with the club whose fans were responsible for Udin's death?
1: In the case of did P.S.S. Sleman suffer anything from uh, as a result of this attack? I would say I would say no, and the club also uh, would distance itself from the supporter group. Clubs uh, and uh, supporter groups always have a, a difficult and uh, ambivalent uh, relationship. So the clubs will, of course, always appreciate the support. But if the, if the supporter groups uh, behave poorly, then they immediately uh, distance from them.
0: Now, Andy, I'd like to return to what you said was uh, rather unique in the Ijuanuddin case. So this follow-up that we've seen in this case, that doesn't always happen?
1: The other, the other case was the killing of a man, uh, of, a, of a supporter, Joko Orianto, who was a member of the Pasu Party uh, supporter group in in solo and his death happened during a riot uh, after one of uh, Percy's solos games is this supporter Choco Orianto, was killed he is a he was a poor man um, you know from a poor part of solo and just a, you know just a member of the masses so to speak and so his death was not um, Investigated to the to an adequate adequate uh, d- degree. Uh, speaking with some of the supporters afterwards, and they all they uh, very quickly uh, a photo uh, was circulated purporting to show uh, a bullet hole in his uh, in his chest. Um, but the official media reports was that he he died. Uh, as a result of uh, fighting between uh, the Paso Party supporters. And this was all covered as a a fait accompli, as as, as, there was nothing worth uh, investigating. A couple of months later, I met with some supporters, and uh, I asked them what are they doing to uh, follow up on uh, this uh, supporter's death. One report came back that uh, basically the the situation had been resolved, and uh, Joe Cruyanto's family weren't taking it any further, as one of his children had been promised a po- position uh, in the police force mm-hmm. as a kind of um, <laughs> compensation.
0: So, in that sense, there's no real approach.
1: Well, to there's, deal there's, with there's,
0: it, I suppose there's or? no uh,
1: there's no there's no le- uh, legal. Uh <laughs> yeah. No legal conclusion. Yeah. It's just a a, a negotiation.
0: So there is really no predictable response from the authorities to this kind of violence. Also, as you mentioned earlier, clubs tend to distance themselves from fans if this happens. Um, They also do not appear to take any steps towards addressing some of the problems in Indonesian football, particularly where it concerns behaviour of fans. Is that always the case?
1: Bandung is a a pretty successful football city. Persib um, is one of the, if you look at their jersey, it's absolutely covered in advertisements of sponsorship. So on the one hand, uh, uh, a football uh, romantic might think it's quite an ugly shirt, but they're also one of the um, clubs that has um, been successful in, in drawing, drawing sponsors to them. So many clubs uh, suffer from... Uh, an, an inability to attract sponsors. Um, the governor or this mayor of um, Bandung also has supported um, uh, Nonton Barang, yeah, the public uh, watching of, uh, of public screening of important games involving Persib. So, whereas other cities have generally tried to marginalize their supposedly uh, generically unruly fans. Um, Bandung is um, cooperated and um, brought them into the fold or the heart of the city a little bit more.
0: It's interesting at uh, the Bandung case, I think, because you're you're actually saying, look, here is a a team or a city that has, um, with success, invested. Um, in, in football. Now you've discussed a lot of um, challenges for Indonesian football, starting from, you know, this situation in which players find themselves in, but also certainly um, supporters and their, their, their safety. What can be done to make the game better and safer?
1: Firstly uh, one hopes for uh, more support from fifa and then also the afc see the local branch of uh, fifa and um one also hopes for a reformasi of um, the indonesian football federation much in the same way as there was a reformasi of mainstream indonesian uh, politics and until now this this hasn't happened so um there needs to be clean governance and uh, good management of um, at the top level, um, and I'm also perhaps naively optimistic there can be more engagement between um, you know Australian football and uh, Indonesian football.
0: Why should the Australian Football Federation try to help improve Indonesian football?
1: Of course, the FFA has um, has enough on its hands in. Uh, in Australia on um, developing the game in Australia but it would it would great to it would be great to see a um, rivalry develop between Australia and Indonesia in the much in the same way we have a rival we a rivalry with um, New Zealand um, in rugby um, or a, a football rivalry with Japan. It seems strange we don't have a rivalry with our, our, our nearest neighbor. Uh, moreover, there are there should be tremendous opportunities for um, uh, Indonesian players to come and play in the A-League. I'm not sure if there are any clubs in the A-League which, which are seriously scouting for players in Indonesia or um, have made any um, inroads at, at all. Uh, one player who I think I, who, who deserves uh, mention is uh, is Robbie Gasper, um, who played in Indonesia for 10 years, and he's been active in working at uh, FIFPro Pro um, and fighting for players' rights. Um, but he's he's also uh, been been a strong advocate of Greater interaction between uh, footballers from and administrators from Indonesia and Australia to collaborate together, and I think it's it's strange. Oftentimes Australians uh, or Indonesians work really hard to think about what what the two countries might have in common. Um, it certainly isn't Australian rules football, uh, and it's also not badminton, which is of course hugely popular in Indonesia but not in Australia. Football, football, the round ball game, is the main sport that uh, the two nations have in common.
0: Andy, I'm afraid that this is all that we have time for today. Thank you for your insights. You're welcome. That was Dr. Andy Fuller on Indonesian football. The next Talking Indonesia podcast, hosted by my colleague Dave McRae, will be available on the 2nd of June. And as a reminder, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast series at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog or subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher. Many thanks for listening. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast.